Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate guys at chelsea they're so approachable and i think in a time where i was probably in my darkest place in terms of football they were always very supportive and you didn't feel basically embarrassed or or anything if you if you needed a favor or asked them for anything you're listening to the king's road podcast the pod that takes you on a journey exploring every facet of chelsea football club from the club's philosophy to why the club plays in world two with your host joe tweets hello everyone and welcome back for another stroll along the king's road this is Joe Tweez, and today we will continue our conversation with Chelsea Academy graduate Ruben Samut. Now, if you haven't listened to the first half of this conversation, I would probably recommend doing so to get the full context of what we've been talking about. And with that being said, I hope you enjoyed the second half of this conversation. Let's continue. Now, I kind of moving on to sort of the final part, final couple of parts here. I wanted to sort of get your opinion really on some of the the more, I suppose, transitional stuff that you guys would face as academy players. And by that, I mean, certainly, you know, I've, I've heard of this sort of hypothetical bridge between the academy building and the, the first team building, this sort of bridge that I think it might actually be a physical bridge that, uh, that you guys can cross over when you start training with the first team, et cetera. I think one of the things that fans, um, certainly people that have an interest in, in Chelsea being able to produce homegrown players look at is, you know, when you look at... Um, let's say you're sort of 18, 19, whatever it might be, and you're looking at the first team. Do you, do you guys get concerned with sort of the, the sort of the managerial changes that the club makes? And maybe that, you know, as a, a teenager, you could be, let's, let's say Josh McEachern is a very good example of this. Somebody who probably was very well thought of under Carlo Ancelotti when he was here. Um, the profile of player that he was, the style of play. Um, Chelsea then, you know, Sack Ancelotti and then Andre Riespoz comes in with completely different ideas, a completely different style of play. Josh sort of then goes on loan and is sort of forgotten. Um, you know, if you're looking at sort of the, the first team or, or when you start looking at the first team and maybe sizing up positions, is it is it a concern to, to the guys in the building that the managerial kind of instability means that you, while you may be kind of in, in sort of flavor of the month or at least in favor now that, you know, in six months time, you might be in a position where, you know, the club wants a, an absolute monster number six rather than a ball player or they want a, a box-to-box player maybe rather than sort of a, a number eight, number 10 hybrid, that that sort of thing. So the sort of, I suppose the, the thing I want to get into is that does the the kind of the managerial merry-go-round that happens at, at the club, um, how does that sort of impact your kind of development and your kind of looking towards the first team? Is that something that you guys consider? Um, and, and is it something that you think is has inhibited or maybe 
uh, not allowed as many players until recently to start, sort of walk across that bridge and progress into into the first team. Quite a long question there, but I just wanted to sort of give the the context to the people about the sort of managerial stuff and, and I think how that potentially impacts you guys as as academy players. I think in terms of staff wise, probably at the academy it, it is concerning. Yeah. Um, you obviously you're building this culture and model at the club, and you're breeding these players to be the best they can be, and hopefully filter it into the first team. And the fact there's there's that many managerial changes, I guess it probably is an annoyance to them because a relationship they may have built. Because I always felt like the the bridge between the academy and first team, there was always a good relationship between Neil yeah. and the first team manager, and if that he then has to build that whole relationship and trust the game say this is what we're doing but I guess the reputation the academy built over the years almost a manager would come in and already know what the club was about in terms mm. of the players there and the academy and I think the opportunities as players we used to get in the first team was was always very good They, I think there was most almost every day in the last few years I was at the club there'd be a youth team player or under 23s player training with the first team and and since I've come on this side of the fence and I've even gone to Charlton I know until recently with the new manager coming in there Nigel Atkins it wasn't even the case there which I thought was oh, wow. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah they had, they rarely had under 23 players training with the first team and I think at a league one club I, I couldn't believe it because there was me thinking Chelsea never gives opportunity to any youngsters and yet there was always a player training with the first team. And I think in terms of Chelsea, in terms of opportunity, it was always, Chelsea's a very results-driven club. They're a massive club. Yeah. The pressure was always on for the manager to get results. So I think in the back of their mind, I felt like they'd always probably want to play a young player, but they just... You've got to win every single game. It's difficult to give opportunities to like a young kid, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it was frustrating for a lot of the staff and and players at the time because we knew how how good we were. And there were times you you train with the first team and think, I'm I'm not too far off this level. I'm I'm quite good. And it was like thinking I could make a difference here or at least in cup games or Europa League games when we were in that competition, just... Play, play a few of the younger players and, get, and give them that chance. Mm. I think in, in terms of managerial changes for the player, especially as you're a young player developing, it didn't really make a difference. To me, I don't think either. Yeah. I didn't think when Marino got sacked, oh no, I've now got to make an impression on the next manager because at the end of the day, when you're a young player, the focus is just to make an impression. So whoever the manager was, you could always sort of have an impact with yeah. you guys over there and, and, and doing something a little bit special and you're just more conscious of wanting just to get an opportunity rather than, oh, I don't think this manager suits my style of play almost. I think that that's probably more a thing where, where you become established. And the example you made with Josh McKetkin where he broke through with Ancelotti, he then became sort of part of Ancelotti's um, squad. And yeah, he was a rotational it. piece, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so for a lot of the players I, I was in the academy with and stuff, we were almost trying to get to that Josh McEpron stage. Um, so we we only cared about how, on a day-to-day basis, how we would train with the first mm. team. And I think, um, as well, what was frustrating for the academy is that they were always crying out for that that one player to sort of be... The next JT. The 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. For me, was that was always the example. It was John Terry was the last sort of player to sort of break through the academy and be a quite, first. Quite a bit of pressure as well, I'd imagine, because it, it's not like John Terry is sort of uh, just a, you're kind of run of the mill English guy who played for the club. You know, you're kind of being, you know, yeah. it's like one of the the best players has ever played for the club. The cut, the, the guy who's won the most trophies, like the guy who was like the embodiment of, you know, the Abramovich era. It must have been. Yeah, you know, to constantly hear oh, who's going to be the next JT. Well, it's like, you know, yeah. and the other thing as well, and just, you know, just as a slight aside here, you know, I, I watched Terry come through as a, a young player at Chelsea. He wasn't the superstar centre-back until his mid-20s. And I often think sometimes, particularly, you know, young players, you might get 10 minutes in a game to come on and impress. And if you don't do some stupid, like, insane, worldy piece of skill or score a goal, you're kind of put to the side again for a couple of seasons. And I, I think in particularly of, of the other Ruben, uh, Mr. Loftus-Cheek, you know, for three years he was at Chelsea in the squad and yet he only played 1,400 minutes of football in three years, which is like less than four games a season. And you've got to sort of think at that point in terms of, as you say, in terms of your development, he must have been at a point where he was thinking to himself, you know, I, I can probably play, you know, I can play, I can play at this level now, particularly during that 2015-16 season where Chelsea had that obviously massive shock and we were, we finished up 10th. Um, I think the fact that we didn't use that second half of the season to try and blood as many young players as possible. I mean, we're never going to get, you know, anywhere in terms of the league. I think it was fairly obvious that we weren't going to be relegated at that point. But I think you're you're right in terms of I think the moments we've maybe had to to use to to give to young players, I don't think we've necessarily used them until um until Frank obviously came in and, and started started to sort of push push the narrative for for some of the younger guys. But yeah, that that's really, really interesting point that you've made there. Yeah, and I think even with Lampard coming in, his sort of ties and relationship with with the club and the academy. I mean, his best mate was Jody Morris, and yeah. he'd obviously worked with a lot of the players in the 18s and 23s. He obviously helped. He um, promoted Joe Edwards to the first team, so there was always that sort of uh, link between, an even stronger link now really between strong the academy. Yeah, and a lot of the the experience they probably had with those players, like the Reese James, Masons, Callums, they they sort of warmed that um, that whole idea of sort of getting this English core of youngsters who mm. are in the academy who where Joe and Jody would have seen it firsthand thinking, oh, these players are good enough to play. They were then given that opportunity to then um, put sort of put these players to where they wanted them in the first place. And then it just shows that it's a, you either sink or swim and a lot of these players were good enough and they, they've just done so well and I guess now looking at academy players coming through this is only going to help um, yeah. even in recruitment at younger ages you're looking at the players you can be these next set of players who are now playing in the first team um, and I think it makes the goal more realistic in terms of oh definitely yeah 16 to 18 year olds you think he's done it why, why can't I why can't I do it why can't I be the next one so it, I think this is only, it's, it's an amazing thing that's happened for the academy. And I think they're going to be, again, rewarded in years to come where um, there'll be more and more players who are getting handed their debuts and that kind of thing. A little bit of a, a tangent, but just that we're talking on sort of players coming back now. Is there anyone sort of out on loan at the moment that you think might be able to come back and have have a similar impact to a Reese James, to a Mason Mount, to a, to a Tammy, for example? Anyone that you have your eye on? I think Conor Gallagher's definitely... Yeah. One, I, I played with a little bit and had seen firsthand. I, I knew how good a player he was, and his progression from Championship to Premier League, it, he can only. I think he's someone who can have an impact at the club. 
if not, he he may go on loan to a, another Premier League club. But he's he's cracked it at this level, and I think he's someone who can definitely have an impact in the future for sure. Um, he's probably the one that sticks out to me the yeah. most. You've got a lot of the players who are in and around it, like the Billy Gilmore who didn't end up going on loan, but he he's someone who can have a future at the club. Um, and another one, again, is not out on loan, but I think had opportunities too, was um, Tino Andrian. Yeah, good player. I'm a big fan of, yeah, I'm a big fan of him. And I think he, he obviously um, strikes me as a Ruben Loftus-Cheek type. And I think he probably, with a little bit more development, he could maybe be a better version of Ruben, I think. And yeah, I think that's a, that's could, a really good point. Yeah, and he, I think he has a bright future at the club also. And his probably next step is to go on loan, yeah. um, which he'll probably be doing next season. It's interesting that we had this sort of little, like almost conveyor, but where you had like Ruben Loftus-Cheek and then Tino came along and then you've got Miles Harris, who's also pretty similar. You know, sort of these sort of very kind of powerful box-to-box kind of attacking midfielders. It's like the club have this little kind of like copy and paste button that they use to sort of create certain players. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with with the shot of, of Connor. Um I think he's he's actually quite highly underrated by Chelsea fans. I don't think they maybe appreciate just how how well he's done. I mean, he was he was fantastic at Charlton on loan. You know, took a step up to Swansea again was was really good there. I mean, and in a not particularly good West Brom team, although that's quite ironic saying that considering they slapped us a couple of well back a few days back, but not particularly strong West Brom team. I think again he's been one of their standout players. The only other one that I maybe just want to grab an opinion on before we we move on is is Mark Gerhey at Swansea. Somebody I, I really, really like. I think he might also, maybe not next season, but maybe the season after, he he might have an opportunity at the club. Yeah, no, Mark Mark's a very good player and he's someone I'd also train with. And I'd, I'd probably off the top of my head, I'd, I'd, I'd fail to sort of mention him. But now yeah. you've brought up, I think, yeah, he's definitely someone who would have an impact. I think he he's someone who's also underrated a little bit. And I think even his first um, time at Swansea last season, um, he kind of went a bit under the radar, but he was consistently performing. And I know yeah. the Swan fans really appreciate what he does. Um, I think he, yeah, they, they really highly rate him. And I think where he's out on loan and in the championship and that, that doesn't get as much coverage. A lot of people aren't really, uh, there's not much hype around him at the moment. Yeah. But like, like you said, you, you follow him and he's as good a centre-back technically in the way with his pace and strength and the way he reads the game as any Premier League player. So I think he could make that step up into the Premier League. And I think he should be looking to do that next season. And like you said, it, it probably wouldn't be next season. He's in the Chelsea team, but he'd be going away pre-season with them. I'd hope. And then a Premier League loan like Connor has done this season would yeah. be his next steps. Who would win a 50-50 between him and Rhys James in training? <laughs> Hypothetically, uh, Reese, 100% Reese, Reese, yeah, 100%. Reece. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's uh, his strengths unlike anything I've seen, really. Yeah, um, I mean, how, the, how, how good is he? How good is he for someone that you've played with? Pro- he's probably up there with one of the best I have played with. I think, in terms of how relaxed and confident and calm he is in, in his ability, it's, it's quite deceiving how good he is. Um, yeah. he just makes things look so easy and. Um, he's such a relaxed guy off the pitch and the way he trains and stuff you just he do things and you just think it's normal but actually it's <laughs> quite ridiculous what he's doing and that that was always the thing that was so cool about him um, 
he just made things look easy and he it was just like it was nothing but really you're kind of there thinking I'd never be able to do that so yeah he's definitely up there one of the best where, where do you think his best best position is right centre back in a three or right back right wing back or, or maybe even as a as a midfielder so when I when I was playing with him we'd always play a 3-4-2-1 and he was often the right centre back yeah. and Dujon Sterling as the wing back so I'd always seen him in that right centre back position and there was no one better at sort of that crossing from deep like Aspilicueta had sort of made himself so good at where yeah. I think every other week he was assisting Morata when he was here <laughs> with yeah. that deep cross Reese's crossing ability was so good he, he was able to do that but then at the same time defensively he's so solid quick athletic he obviously looks like he's maybe carrying a bit of weight but he still moves so well and he, he's obviously like I said, so strong. And I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone get past him. He pocketed every winger he played against. Um, so for me, I always see him in that position, but yeah. you see him in wing back and he's he's equally as good because he, he's got the fitness and athleticism to get up and down and he's got that crossing ability. So I think it's a difficult question, but I'd always see him as a right centre-back. But yeah. I, I, I bet a lot of people now are saying his better position is a wing back. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting one because I, I kind of see not that not, not that Aspilicueta is is coming to sort of the end of his Chelsea career, but if you think about as you say Reese's kind of technical ability on the ball, particularly his passing range and and, and the ability to hit that diagonal from those areas, um, you know, seen Aspi get into some quite nice areas, you know, five ten yards outside the box in sort of that inside um, inside right kind of position, that sort of half space. We'd love to see sort of Reese being there a bit more, bit more often. But uh, yeah, definitely, I think he's he's playing well. I think he's been one of Chelsea's best players this season. But I have a, a massive academy bias, as you're probably understanding by now. But uh, yeah, kicking it back to you, uh, a little bit more towards uh, some of the the development stuff here. So just want to briefly kind of touch on um, how you kind of improved, or in terms of your training with the first team when you trained there, how much of a benefit was it? How much did you improve as a player? Um, how vital is it in terms of your development from from being like a you know a really good under sixteen player to a guy who maybe is now sort of at the forefront of an FA Youth Cup team at eighteen? Um, how has that sort of whole development process kind of worked for you? And did you did you see the, the the sort of benefits from playing with Chelsea's kind of first team players or training with them? Yeah, definitely. And I think where you are doing so well at sixteen or youth team level, um, it's always it's almost like it brings you back to earth. If you're, <laughs> you're then given, you, you think you're, you're a certain player and you think you're doing everything right and you're the best. And then you end up going to the first team and then you're seeing the levels. And I think Chelsea probably use that as an exercise with some of the younger players who, who maybe they don't want to um, get them ahead of themselves and get so big headed there. Yeah. They'll go over and train with the first team, see what the level's like. And then it's almost like, wow, I'm, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a bit of a way to go I'm having a rondo um, played around me here in the middle of the game and I can't get near people yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was always a, a massive thing as the youngster going over there that, that the feeling you had going over to train the first team it, it was unlike any other way you just you're so nervous and you've got all this pent up energy where you want to do so well and yeah. impress and I think you, you need that because you can maybe get in your comfort zone in your own age groups or whatever yeah. and every week so being able to then get that whole nervous feeling, wanting to do well, and then being exposed to that 
world-class level, it, it helps develop you. And I think the more and more you trained over there, the be- the, the more benefit you had in um, adjusting to the speed. Mm. I think with each session, you, there was times where you might train in the whole week and by the end of the week, you'd felt like oh, you were competing against these players. And it's like the speed of which you can just sort of adapt and get used to the speed of the game. And then when you transferred that back to your under 23s game or under 18s game, um, it felt so much easier and you were so much more comfortable and it gives you that confidence boost as well. So I think even from a point of view of just being able to train with the likes of, it was like Eden Hazard at the time. And then, <laughs> then you're going Did you get near him? No. I, well, I didn't know. I mean, I don't <laughs> I'd, I'd probably stay away from the area of the pitch he was at. <laughs> just just avoid him at all costs. Yeah. But I think you're up against the likes of him and then you go and play Reading away in an under-18 fixture and you felt on top of the world, like I've just marked Hazard and it's like, it just made you more confident. I think confidence yeah. is a massive part of the game and once you, you believe in you're good, then you generally play better. Was it ever difficult going, let's say you'd had a couple of days with the first team, was it ever difficult going back to playing for a 23s or training with the, the 18s? Did you find that difficult? Or was it, as you say, did you just, it was purely positive and you, you looked to to take those lessons and those things you were learning into into your kind of, your, your de- um, sort of development fixtures? I think for me and, and probably for a lot of the other boys, it, it was never a negative thing then yeah. going back to your age group. Because I think any opportunity you got in the first team, you just, it was such an exciting and um, beneficial thing. I guess you just, you then doing that and then going back to your age group, you just wanted to always be the best in your age group and just prove why you were then training with the first team. It was like, I, I didn't ever see anyone sort of sulking or thinking, oh, why am I playing with the 23s? I've just been yeah. with the first team. And I guess it goes all the way back to the, the sort of pe- people Chelsea were developing as um, characters. but yeah no no one ever sort of had, was that big time Charlie and sort of sacked off under 18s 23s games everyone was sort of very good at then adapting from going yeah. to first team football 23s because at the end of the day you're playing for Chelsea and you, you've got to show why you're playing for Chelsea and be the best in everything you do whatever game you're playing and yeah, that's uh, well. I, th- I think that'll be one of the, the sound bites. I think a lot of uh, Chelsea fans will love hearing. Um, kind of final part now, really. I think this is a little bit about the looking at sort of the the, the potential that the Checker Trade Trophy and that sort of competition. I'm not sure what, that, what they've renamed it to or if they've renamed it. But to me, I think it, it showed that there is possibly an avenue to have like a B team set up, like you have in in Spain and Germany, for example, in the Football League. Um, what were your impressions of that competition? Um, I watched quite a lot of the games actually, and it seemed to me at times that you had um, some very experienced, angry older men that were quite annoyed that they were getting played around in circles by what was at the time sort of Chelsea teenagers. So what was your kind of impression of the competition? And do you think it works? I think a lot of the football league fans are maybe a bit irritated that they're playing like Chelsea's 23s or whatever, but I think the fact that we've, we've, we've done quite well in the competition over recent years maybe shows that that's maybe a little bit misguided from from their perspective. Yeah, because I think the the fans really underappreciated it because a lot of the games are boycotted. So we, we'd we end up playing Swindon, Plymouth. I think they were the group, the group we were sort of um, put in extern. You'd end up playing in front of 100 fans because none of the fans of that club wanted to come because they were like, yeah. why are we kids? 
So yeah, I guess a lot of them didn't take it seriously, but I felt um, maybe the teams did more so because when we always ended up playing against maybe their strongest teams. I think everyone knew going into the competition, us being Chelsea, we we were the team to beat. And I think I always remember Joe Edwards um, at the start of the competition. So when we'd have our first group game, he, he, he pulled up the betting stat, the betting um, <laughs> odds. And uh, we, we ended up being the favourites to win the competition even before it started. And we're like... <laughs> Wow. Someone's obviously thinking Chelsea's the team to beat. And I guess we, we just proved in that competition um, what we could do and competing against football league teams and a lot of probably older heads and scouts and that kind of thing always just thought 23's football was a waste of time. You need to be playing, going out and playing senior football as soon as possible. But I guess being able to develop in-house and in the 23's, we show we're better than a lot of those um, yeah. football teams. And Did I think you... the run... Sorry, yeah, go. The, no, no, the run we went on, we we were sort of um, shocking a lot of people. And I think... Yeah, it was funny. Literally a penalty kick away from going to Wembley. And I, I always look back at that and think what, what could have been, but... Yeah. No, it was a great, it was a great run. Yeah, that was... Uh, I remember watching that penalty shootout because... It was funny because on social media, like fans were kind of interested. And then as the game progressed and we were like, oh, hang on a minute, we, we might actually all get to go to Wembley here. And then the, the pylon of fans obviously came on and the, the penalty shootout as well was, now, as you say, it was a real shame because I think it would have been an absolutely like incredible achievement. You know, you've got a basically Chelsea sort of FA Youth Cup team plus like some of the, you know, some of the graduates from that have pretty much gone into playing, uh, you know, proper football league men's teams and, have, you know, kind of battered them and got to the final um, I think it was a real kind of testament, as you say, to not only like the quality of, of, of the, the, the football you guys were playing and, and um, in terms of sort of the management from Joe and, and, and how that sort of how it progressed, but I think a real kind of testament to the fact that, that there is potential, I do believe, for, for maybe certain clubs to have a B team in the Football League. And in that question, I, if Chelsea were to put a, a B team now in, in League to let's say, you know, maybe it's under 23s plus like a handful of of guys who are maybe out on loan, how, how well do you think that they would do? And I'm not trying to, any, any person who isn't a Chelsea fan listening to this, I'm not trying to dismiss the level of football, but it's just a, it's a curious question because I, I think that you would do pretty well as, as, a, as a collective in, in a League 2 environment. It is, a, it is a good question. I guess what would be the sort of main determining factor I'd factor in is that over the course of a 46, league, uh, 46 game season, um, maybe how well we'd pitch him because I think on one-off games that we were playing in the checker trade, we were very good, but over the longevity of the season and obviously young younger players developing, you you could get injuries. A lot of players go out on loan, so the squad changes very frequently, which is not what you see in league football where yeah. some, some teams, especially probably the teams more so that get promoted, are almost playing the same at starting eleven all the way through and they're very robust and can play those 46 games. But I think for sure the first half of the season up until Christmas, we'd be doing very well, I think. I think we'd be definitely in and amongst mid-table to playoff positions and it'd be, do we tail off at the business end of the season? I do think it'd be a good exercise though and I think we wouldn't just be... We wouldn't be uh, making up the numbers. 
No, no, for sure we wouldn't be. that Because we'd have too much quality. And I think at that level, a lot of the games probably more um, focused on the physical aspect. But the, the way we dominate the ball, I don't think a lot of teams would be able to handle it. So, um, yeah. It, it's, it is a very interesting question. I get, you could probably go on for ages about it because yeah. there's so many things to weigh up with it. But no, it, it does fascinate me. And I think if if it was something that is to be developed in years to come, that I think it'd be a great exercise. And I think the benefits in the long run with what it could do for the national team. I mean, our, our national setup and the age groups at the moment are already doing, doing amazing. But in terms of, like you said, the, the Spanish sides that have got those B teams in in the, the lower leagues that you see how well they dominated nationally. I think it'd be the same in our case where we've got younger players playing men's football uh, at an early age, but still being developed in a Premier League environment and, and getting the benefits of the best coaching and best facilities as well. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's something I would absolutely uh, would definitely pay to to see because uh, I think, as you say, the Checkerjoe Trophy that that run really I think opened a lot of people's eyes to just how good some of these young players are. Um, in some cases, the average age of the team it was pretty much like an FA Youth Cup team at some points in terms of average age, and to see how good, as you say, technically good some of these players were, but then being able to to cope with you know as I say like thirty year old men trying to kick the absolute you know seven shades of whatever out of you because you're a Chelsea Academy player. Um, I think that was really interesting to see in terms of that development. Hey guys, Joe Tweeds here. Just taking a very short break to have some words from one of our sponsors. Coming into sort of the last real question now, just before we, we wrap up. Um, and it's a topic I think that a lot of people have um, spoken about, some that I've spoken about kind of, kind of fairly regularly. It's looking at sort of how Chelsea can like better prepare academy players for adult football. And I think what was interesting earlier when we were speaking a little bit about Nathan Baxter, I sometimes think the... The only real downside to Chelsea's academy system is that because the team is so good that sometimes as players, you maybe don't learn like the other side of the game. So maybe you don't learn how to to press as a, a forward or maybe you don't know how to or you don't get enough um, opportunity to to defend in space or to defend deep or, or to, to have these sorts of kind of defensive or maybe uh, gritty or nitty gritty kind of side of the game. Because as you say, you know, you've got 70, 80 percent of the ball, you're, you're smashing teams left, right and centre. You know, maybe Man City give you a game every now and then. You, you have a couple of good games in the uh, in the UEFA uh, Youth League. So, in terms of like trying to maybe create more of an environment that that is conducive to you, maybe adapting better to to adult football. Is it is it looking to try and pursue a B team? Is it to send players out on earlier loans and to try and make those loans better? Because I think we've we've been hit and miss with some of the loans that we've sent kids out on. Um, or is there like a different approach to training or development that we need to take into account that, you know, that sort of looks at the fact that we are such a, a possession heavy team and we're so attack minded. And, you know, I mean, pretty much you could probably play four holding midfielders at the back for Chelsea, you know, and, and you wouldn't really notice. You just put them, push them further up the pitch and whatever, because we're so ball dominant. So that, that sort of that whole kind of theme of, of how can Chelsea better prepare players for adult football? What, what would you look at is, as maybe a couple of ways to to bridge the gap between somebody being, you know, sort of not necessarily making the, the jump immediately like a Callum or, or a Ruben has done to the first team, but maybe better preparing them for for their first loan or preparing them in general for, for adult football. I think the EFL trophy is obviously an amazing thing. And I, I guess yeah. even around that, when we were preparing for those games, a lot of the, the training sessions we, we, we did with Joe were, were modified to gearing us up for that. So we do a lot of the exercises we do and drills would be 
more so dealing with longer balls, long yeah. throw-ins, that kind of thing, like just different second balls. So we have a lot of possession drills based on that. And that's how we prepare for those games. So that was always important. That was a key part of the development. I think in terms of loans, um, like you were mentioning, going out on loans earlier, that's another question up for debate because I, I also think going on a loan too early can be bad yeah. for a player. Um, in terms of if you're a 17-year-old going to a League One team, <laughs> not necessarily the best football, yeah. you, you probably it'll probably stunt your development where training sessions aren't necessarily um, as good at sort of helping you develop. It's more so about the result. And often when you find going to on loan and EFL teams is they got 46 games in a season. It's like they're, they're Tuesday, Saturday, constantly training a lot of the times, just recovery and ticking over. So mm. what you're actually learning on the pitch and improving as a player, you're not going to get as much as if you were in-house with Chelsea, maybe spending an extra season in the 23s and then going out on loan. Okay. So I think, yeah. um, and also, it's got to be the right loan, really. Because yeah, there's been so many. We've had some shockers. So yeah, so many were, and I think they've sort of scaled back a little bit. I don't think the loan army, what it used to be called, is as big <laughs> as it was. I think the time I was in it, it was in seventy in, people WhatsApp group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it was definitely in the late forties, were out on loan, and you, it, was, it was crazy. But um, yeah, I think taking approach and finding the the right loans for players and how they probably to clubs that are better suited that will then allow them to be better players in, in Chelsea's first team. I, I take Swansea as a good example. Um, you've got Steve Cooper there who's obviously been in the England set up. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. They play a certain style of football that I think is transferable to the way Chelsea are playing. So the fact Mark's on loan there is, is only going to put him in a better position than if he just went to a Shrewsbury in League One or whatever. It's like it's not not random loans, but more sort of calculated and yeah. sort of well thought of loans are probably going to help bridge that gap a lot better. In terms of B teams, I guess that that's obviously a process that, that always gets spoken about, but nothing's kind of in place. Yeah. Or no one's really got down to saying this is the model and this is how it's going to be done. So I guess that's probably something that probably in the next four or five years may still not even be um, feasible so I think the loans thing is important I think you definitely need to go on loans and probably the earlier the better but you still need that nurturing time as well so yeah. I think once you reach 18 19 that's when you look probably more so 19 for me I think you need a full season in the 23s before you go out on loan and people's developments accelerated so you get some 16 year olds who are already playing 23s football but that sort of initial 23 football for a year is probably, for me, the, the turning it's like, point. It's like the precursor to going out on loan. Yeah. Like you've you've shown that you can play physical, you can you can adapt to the standard, you're not getting bullied <laughs> off the ball, that sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And once you have that full season of the 22 games, whatever is in that league, and checker trade games, that whole year of experience, and you've got through that, then the next the next um, move is going out on loan and obviously for some players like myself I, I think I was in that sort of 23s year for an, another season and it was like 
you get that assessment are you ready to go on loan now would you be better if you spent another year mm. improving and I think that's always questions um, that are being spoken about at the club and there are always discussions around players and the players always involved in that but I think you you couldn't go straight from under 18s football to men's football I think you need that that gap that, that yeah. bridge with the 23s for sure yeah, and I think the point you're saying about the club is is you know, absolutely spot on. I mean, I've you know lost count of them a number of times. We sent somebody who's like a really good like on the ball midfielder to a team in in League One or League Two that literally just plays it from from, from back to front. And you're like, okay, well, what's the what's the point? You know, what what is the point of sending somebody who is wants to get on the ball, wants to dictate the game, wants to you know make a pass, wants to to dribble to carry the ball, and all they're doing is is trying to uh, make you know late late runs for it to win a you know, win a second ball or two to win a, a ball from a knockdown. So it's it's interesting, I think, as you say, that I think we've we've definitely scaled back. And I think the loans we've we've sent people on recently have been a lot better. Um even somebody like, you know, Trev Chalibur, for example, he's playing really well for Lorient at the moment. Um though those sort of Ipswich and Huddersfield loans have probably set him up quite well for for playing in in, in Ligue and in France. Um Connor, as you say, is a really good example of progressing well. And then you've got obviously Jamie Cumming and Nathan Baxter that we spoke about earlier. So it's it's hopeful, at least hopeful from from my perspective as a fan, to see the club take a little bit more care with with where they send players because it shouldn't just be about the fact that this club can afford a loan fee or you know will cover the wages of a player. It should be a bit more about, you know, as you say, with with Mark at Swansea, you know, he is playing in a system at the moment that currently directly translates to him learning a position that he will probably um, you know, get a shot at a Chelsea if, if Tuchel continues to play a the back three next season. Um, finishing up now. So this is the the last kind of uh, portion now. It's going to be, and it's just something we touched on just be, we were speaking a little bit before the podcast started recording. It's something I hadn't really thought about, but I think again, would be interesting just for people to to kind of finish up, maybe hearing a little bit about Chelsea's kind of aftercare as a place, uh, aftercare process after you leave the club, because it's not something I'd really considered. Um, but I think from what you were saying, I think it's it's probably like something positive to to end on before we we kind of go into the little quick fire round to to finish up. Yeah, so I think in my experience of it, um, the guys at Chelsea they're so approachable, and I, I think in a time where I was probably in my darkest place in terms of football, of um, not kind of fulfilling what I wanted to fulfill, yeah. and I'm, I'm sort of starting from scratch again. I'm I'm in non-league now, trying to. I'm gonna work my way into the game. They they're always very supportive and people you could get in contact with. You didn't feel basically embarrassed or or anything if you if you needed a favor or asked them for anything. And I think um they always took an took an interest to whatever you're doing. So whenever you went out on loan, you obviously have constant messages with the, the guys there checking in how you're doing. You just kind of everyone there you built a personal relationship with yeah, and they'd always want to see you do well. And I think in terms of um, them making you feel so comfortable to approach them, that, that was what was benefit beneficial for me because at that time I knew I could just reach out to Neil and he's going to pick up the phone and he's, he's going to want to know how I'm doing and, and listen to what I've got to say. It wasn't a thing I ever think, Oh, I can't, I can't do that. Or he's not going to take any interest. He's not going to help. Um, they're always there to help, and they all. Once you've sort of been part of Chelsea, that's always your family and home away from home. So yeah, they, they they've sort of developed that. They you get that trust between them and your time there, and 
they're just all good people at, at the academy uh, and all the staff there are just amazing really um just not on what they do but like I, I keep saying as people as well so I think me being able to pick up the phone and and, and ask a favor and ask where I could um, maybe help and them listening and then being able to say yeah come in and do this it it, it was incredible really and really helpful yeah I think that's a that's a really positive uh, note to, to end on for the serious portion let's say of the podcast so yeah really really appreciate the uh, the answers there and I think again the the aftercare stuff you know I think again football fans we kind of tend to see footballers as um, non-people at times and it, it kind of results and I think a little bit of the culture that we see online today in terms of just treating them as sort of objects and people that just get shouted at and stuff like that but it's nice to know again as you say that the, it seems that Chelsea treat you as as more than just a, a number on a spreadsheet to them even after you've left the club as you say no ability to reach out to come back to do some scouting part-time to to learn uh, kind of another another skill set from the club when probably you know maybe elsewhere that that um, tie once you've kind of left the club is, is maybe seven in some instances so I think that's really really cool to know um, and to finish up we're just going to do a very very quick fire round here so this is the less stressful portion for you Ruben so um, let's think let's start with best player you've played with in the academy in terms of ability Callum Hudson-Odoi yeah in terms of all-round player, work ethic, Mason Mount. Interesting. Good good shout, sir. I probably would agree on both from what I've seen. Um, now, I'm thinking more potentially when you've you've moved over and trained with the first team, but best player that you've played with in like a first-team context and best player you've played against in, in, in a training context? Best player I've played with, I'd have to say Eden Hazard. Uh, <laughs> That's quite I'm an not, easy one. Yeah, he, he wouldn't be against because I've never been directly against him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but against... Uh, against Fabregas in training? I have played against Fabregas, but he was very good. He was probably coming towards the end of his career. Yeah. Um, for me, I'd, I'd appre- I appreciated um, Matic. And yeah, he's one of my favourites. He was in sort of smaller possessions. He wasn't your man, but in big areas... He was very difficult to play against. I don't think you could get near him in terms of... He was almost like a praying mantis with his arm. <laughs> I love that. You wouldn't be able to get get the ball off him and he, and he was box to box, incredibly fit. like Big physical lad. Yeah. And, yeah. and for me, he was probably not the most physical player. He was definitely the toughest midfielder I'd come yeah. up against. Ooh, interesting. Um, this might be like... A- picking between people that you really like, but I thought I'd put you on the spot a tiny bit here. Who's, who's the favourite coach you've had so far in your career? Uh, it has to be Joe. Joe yeah. Is, what what yeah, makes I, him such I a good coach? Him, well, I had known him from under eights when I first came in. He was my wow. under eight coach. And then um, not not had him in each individual age group, but basically gone through the whole process with him. And obviously he ended up being my 23s manager as well. So yeah, almost known him my whole academy mind. Do you think that he can go on and become... A, an established first team coach, first team manager at a Premier League club or at, at a you know a football league club um, in the next couple of years because I think to me he has that almost like kind of enables me kind of vibe around him. You know he plays exceptional football. He seems incredibly well respected by pretty much anyone that I talk to around Chelsea or, or directly at Chelsea. 
Um, and I think certainly players that have played for him have kind of really always pinpointed him as one of the managers or coaches that have had the biggest impact on their career. Do you think that he he can eventually maybe step away from Chelsea and become become sort of like a, I don't know, like a Brendan Rodgers or a, or a Nagelsmann type coach elsewhere? Does he have that in his locker? Do you think? Definitely, and I think it's only a matter of time before you you see him managing somewhere in the football league. Yeah, um, I think he. I know for sure he, he he'd be wanting to to make that step. It's the natural transition. He's been 23's manager. He's now working with the first team. I guess he's trying to take everything he can by learning with yeah. the Lampard now with Tuchel. Now he's going to want to take that opportunity to learn. I'm pretty sure he would have had offers already and opportunities to go to, but I think he's someone who loves learning and developing. He'd want to make sure the role he takes is the best one for him and um, he's ready to take it with and jump it with both hands. But he's definitely someone in the near future I think will be managing in the football league for sure yeah really good shout there um, best memory at the club this might uh, be difficult because you've won you've won quite a few trophies <laughs> uh, no it, the second youth cup for me yeah yeah I think I, I played more of a key role I, I, I'd ended up in the first youth cup run the later rounds coming in but the second the second time I've been a part of the whole journey so that that probably meant the most to me what does that competition mean to, to young players? Because I think again, it, it's it's seen as sort of the headline competition in 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 England, and I think now you're getting a lot more television coverage of it on sort of ITV and BBC, etc. But as a young player, is that something that you know you hit 16 and you're like, okay, obviously Chelsea have pedigree and they have had pedigree. You know, you've been a part of, of two teams that have won it. Is this a competition that you look at and think, hey, this is this is kind of our trophy a little bit here, so we need to we need to sort of show up and represent. But also, is it the is it the competition that you really sort of look at as this is this is the one to sort of cement kind of cement my academy sort of legacy or position at Chelsea? Yeah, there's always the pressure of how well we previous year have done. <laughs> yeah, so you've got that sort of expectation to live up to, uh, and as a player, you you almost thrive off that opportunity to to win this trophy. It's almost not bragging rights, but ever when you, you're that age, you just you dream of getting that sort yeah. of that trophy and you've seen the players over the previous years doing it. So I think it is a massive thing for the club and I, I know the the staff there take it very seriously and um, at the time this is probably going to come out that they just got knocked out of the youth cup yeah. again. And I think that's, that's a massive upset and it, it's not something that they take lightly where we do so well in this competition. It's, it's almost we expect to do well every year. So it was a bit of a shocker and, I, and, I, and I'm sure um, uh, there's going to be a lot of people who, who are a little bit disappointed, but it, ju- it just goes to show how much the competition sort of means to the players in the club at Chelsea and they're yeah. always going to be doing well in it. Yeah, I mean, today was the, the first time that I've actually seen an academy side come to play Chelsea and play them as if they're like a first-team team. Like they've actually come and like defended and sat back and not really tried to play football. And I appreciate that, you know, teams play different ways and that there's no one set way to play. But I think the one thing I've always enjoyed about the Youth Cup is that pretty much, you know, everyone comes to, to play and tries to express themselves and tries to come and win and be positive. And it feels like certainly watching the game, we've, we've kind of made two errors and been punished twice. Um, and Everton have been very, very kind of defensively minded and have kind of almost sort of strangled a little bit the life out of the game. So, I mean, that's certainly something that I've, I've not seen happen. Um, maybe it's, uh, you know, going forward, it's going to be the new approach that we see. 
teams coming to play Chelsea and playing like a back five and, you know, four across the middle, et cetera. But yeah, very, uh, very, very uh, disappointing, I think, for the, for the club. But again, hopefully some of those players will learn from that and, and come back next season. Um, final three from me. So a little bit of a nod to your scouting hat and a little bit, I suppose, in terms of your position group as well. So what is like one trait, skill, ability, whatever you want to use that you think a modern central midfielder in today's game cannot live without? Probably something as basic as I think when you get to first team level for, for sure is the, the technical abilities there and that kind of thing. So I guess the thing that makes players stand out from the rest is almost their fitness and ability to cover a lot of distance and, and um, be at high intensity for longer periods of the game. Because if you're able to be producing moments of quality in the 90th minute where others are lagging, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you're already at an advantage. And as long as you're the fitter player on the pitch, um, the sort of better position you're in. And I know a lot of managers, um, especially working with the manager at Charlton and stuff, they they appreciate someone who, who can run and has that um, mobility and ability to... Mm. Um, last the 90 minutes and 40, like like I said before, 46 league games in a season, they, they yeah. need that fitness. So if you're, if you've got that, then you're halfway there winning that midfield battle. So that, that, that'd be the, yeah. the thing, important thing I think a midfielders definitely need in this day and age. Yeah. You, you touched on, I think the couple of things that I was trying to look for is certainly, as you say, kind of mobility and agility. Um, you know, the way sort of teams are kind of built now, particularly you, you see a lot of this kind of double six, double pivot stuff. So I, I suppose a lot, a lot of the, the traits you're looking at here is, is obviously capacity maybe to play box to box, but I suppose also to kind of defend sideline to sideline in some capacity, you almost, yeah. you almost have to own like a, a half of the pitch. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with the, with, with, with the assessment there. Um, second to last question, what piece of advice would you, uh, or that you know now or that you think is true now, would you have given yourself at like 15, 16? Probably not to be so hard on myself. I think yeah. uh, I was always a perfectionist and I took maybe comments and I was always a bit harsh on myself in terms of if I had played so well, but I think it, as long as you believe in yourself and have confidence every time you walk out on the pitch and I think maybe I've stuff that was happening that was out of my control yeah so I think um, just going out enjoying football and being confident and not overthinking would be my advice to myself when you talk about comments is that something that you're talking about from people internally or, or are you talking about going on like social media and somebody like saying oh you know Ruben's been terrible today for example is, were you paying attention to social media at that point in your career was it not really sort of a consideration at that point in time no not really social media but uh, more so it probably wasn't it was never internally the coaches but um, sort of projection in terms of if it was a, someone who said oh, particularly for me it was stages where I wanted to go on loan and getting feedback from clubs and stuff I, I might have been said to be not yep. big enough or not physical enough or and then kind of thinking that kind of affected me in probably a negative way because I wanted, I was that sort of invested in myself. I wanted to get to that point. And once yeah. I realized this is going to be difficult because I've not got something out of my control completely, what I look like physically, it was sort of being detrimental to 
to my circumstances. So I think just sort of letting that affect me negatively. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just overthinking, just making sure you believe in yourself really. And because um, if you don't believe in yourself, then who else will believe in you? That's, that's always the Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you say that about the physicality it's you know because you're not sort of built like Michael Essien it's uh, you know you can't play in the football league it, it always does amuse me stuff like that but uh, no that, that's I think that's a really really good point to raise and the, the last question here and I think this is just a little bit for you to to kind of promote your, your kind of self at the moment and, and obviously sort of future plans but what does what does the future hold for you what, what's on the on the horizon for, for you as a player as a potentially as a scout potentially as a coach what is what is the the next two three years in an ideal world for, for Ruben Samit what does that look like I think in an ideal world I'm going down this recruitment route and I'm learning and sort of being a sponge and absorbing anything I can from the, the amazing opportunity I've got and the people around me and ultimately getting my quali- qualifications in that and hopefully sort of becoming more and more important in terms of recruitment at, um, whether it be Charlton or, or Chelsea I mean I'm doing a lot of work with Charlton right now so I'm hoping I can be influential there make a name for myself and almost I think my ultimate goal would be sort of doing a similar role to what Neil's doing at Chelsea now that, that's yep. where I see myself in maybe 10-15 years time maybe maybe longer than that, but I'd, I'd want to get to that point where I can have as much impact as, as someone like Neil has had. And um, w- what he does is amazing and it must feel so rewarding. So that, that's definitely something I'd be looking to be doing. Uh, in terms of football, I'm not too sure. I mean, um, whether I keep playing or not is, is another thing I need to kind of decide, but yeah. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing at the moment. Um, and... Yeah, I think I've got a lot of focus and desire to do well in that. Yeah, I think the one thing that will remain open is if we ever have a Chelsea uh, like fans tournament, you've, you've got an open invitation to come down as my ringer and uh, and play midfield for us. So, uh, yeah, that yeah. would definitely be, yeah, uh, be fun. Yeah, yeah. Bring, yeah. Bring, just, just bring as many friends down as possible. We just want to win. We don't care how fair it is. We just want to win the tournament. So, yeah, yeah that'd be really cool. Yeah, um, just to I mean, round up here, mate, it's, I think this has been absolutely you know fascinating to listen to you to talk through this and sincerely appreciate the time i know that it, this has been quite a long one to, to chat about but massively massively appreciate your your time here and hopefully i think people listening will have learned an awful lot about the sort of process of chelsea's academy um you know how it can be potentially improved what sort of things are happening you know from kind of various age groups and stuff like that so massively uh, appreciate your time and uh, yeah thank you for, for coming on no thank you for having me I've, I've really enjoyed chatting and yeah like you said i hope this is beneficial to any listener that's what uh to any listener that's listening to this and uh yeah hopefully um i've, I've helped them in some way and they, they've got a bit of an insight to what it may have been like at the, the academy which is probably stuff that's not really spoken about but no it's been really good to talk to you yeah thanks again mate and uh yeah listeners i'll catch you in a bit hello everyone and that concludes our two-part special i want to give a massive massive shout out to ruben here um the amount of time he gave me i think the insights that he provided the consideration i think the intelligence with which he answered questions was personally something i found fascinating when talking to him and Hopefully, again, in the future, I'll have another opportunity to to have him on the pod and we can chat some uh, some slightly different topics. But thank you again to, to Ruben. If you want to follow him on 
any socials, he is Ruben underscore Samit. Um, really, really nice guy. Super, super, um, you know, interesting. Knows his football inside out. And I think hopefully in terms of his, his football career going forward, it would be nice, I think, once the COVID sort of restrictions are out of place, I think he's more than good enough to, to be playing league football again and, and who knows where he will go after that. But uh, yeah, check him out, obviously playing for, for Dulwich Hamlet at the moment. But I do think that his future will be back in the football league at some point. But uh, yeah, fascinating guy, the, the scouting journey that he's been on, um, you know, trying to keep himself busy during the pandemic, I think is a really interesting angle that a professional footballer has taken. And yeah, just again, you know, to thank him for his time for, for you know, giving two, you know, two hours to me for this uh, for this episode. So to the listeners, thank you again. Hopefully this is, is another conversation that you found interesting. Um, I think this is something that I will hopefully be able to, to do more often is try and grab people from within the game to talk about certain topics that are related to Chelsea. Um, and yeah, you know, I think this is going to be one of those things which I, I look back on and hopefully it's the start of a, a good series of, of conversations with people within the game. Now, with that being said... Take care and I'll see you next time for another stroll along the King's Road.